Well, thank you for forgiving us. Um, we are looking up. So you guys are at the top, so it's always an admiration. I just want to say thank you for inviting us. It is such a privilege to be here. This church has an incredible legacy and a testimony. And it is a real honor for my wife and I to be here. We are loving Georgia. We flew in. This is our first time. So we flew in uh, to Atlanta yesterday, and we just got to go around the city. And uh, it's, it's been a blessing. Uh, this last summer, actually, uh, we're from Santa Monica. If you don't know, it's right on the beach. And so a lot of my past before I was pastoring and before God took us around the world, one of the things that I did personally was I, I taught surf lessons because I competed for a lot of years. And uh, this last summer, so, you know, usually we get, try to get people out there and teach them how to surf. And uh, Pastor Pinnock's grandson, I believe, uh, went out, came out to the beach with some of his uh, grandchildren. And I was, I was teaching him how to surf, but it was his first time into the water. And, and so this little guy... <clears throat> comes, you know, comes to the water's edge, and you can see the apprehension. You can see the focus, the determination. And, and I looked at him, and usually kids, you know, they're a little nervous, as most of us would be to enter the ocean and to enter the surf, to surf for the first time, you know, to, to let your feet go off into the water. And I, and I looked at him, I said, are you a little nervous? And he said, yes. He said, but my dad didn't raise a sissy. So let's do it. <laughs> I was like, all right, I want, I want to hang out wherever that came from. I want to be close to that. So uh, when Pastor said, you know, would you be willing to come? Of course, I want to be, you know, that's the spout where that came from. And so lineage that's there. Um, my testimony is, you know, we grew up, my wife and I, we grew up in Santa Monica or the Santa Monica, L.A. area. It's the west side of L.A. I, I got saved, gave my life to God when I was 16, and we met. My wife and I met when I, when I was 19, she was 16, and a, kind of a strange story. We, we were on an outreach from our church to Santa Monica High School, and uh, I w- happened to be one of the drivers, and so what happened was at Santa Monica High School, only high school students could participate. It was a prayer meeting that was there, and so I had just graduated, so I was there as like a chaperone, you know, one month out, you know, however that works, and I remember seeing my wife, who was a a student at Santa Monica High, and I told my friend, I said, see that girl right there? That's the kind of girl I'm going to marry someday. Well, a week later, she shows up at church, and my, that same guy comes to me, and he says, hey, you know, remember that, hey, Josh, remember that girl you saw at the outreach? And um, I said, yeah, and and he said, she's at church today. I said, well, you're not allowed to talk to her. And let every other guy in the whole church know she's mine. So that was it, and, and it was, uh, we had a good time from there. So I, I, I want to just say I'm just so grateful for what God has done, and we've had a number of, we've been in ministry our whole marriage, and uh, it's been a real blessing. And Pastor Pinnock asked me to preach about marriage tonight, and, um, and, and I'm really grateful for that because marriage has been a huge blessing in my life but also, as a pastor, it's one of the number one things that, and I'm sure a lot of those that have pastored can rec- you know, that's a lot of what we minister to and a lot of the challenges that we face, whether the, 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 the backlash or the problems that are associated or the conflicts within. And I understand that this is perhaps a painful, problematic topic for a lot of us. And it could be the source of much of our struggles and pain, whether growing up, the home that we, uh, that we lived in, or maybe in our own personal lives, or even the people around us. And it is a kind of a dangerous topic in this sense, because 
you know, we want to preach to a, me- a message that we can go and apply tonight, right? We can go to come to the altar and we're going to make a decision and then we're going to put it into practice tomorrow. But, you know, if, if we're not married, I wouldn't recommend applying marriage tomorrow, right? You know, say, I'm going to get married tomorrow and step into it. But, you know, it is something that we need to recognize what God has because it's in the Bible and there's a lot of marriage in the Bible. And if, it, if we're going to follow Jesus, if we're going to be disciples, and it helps us to understand what it's all about. When my wife and I got engaged, uh, we, were, we were pretty young. And I don't know how it is here in Georgia, but, um, you know, I, we got married, I, we got engaged when I was, let's see, how old was I? <laughs> I think I was almost, I was 20, and she was 17. So she was still in high school. And uh, that's, that's really unusual in Santa Monica. In, in fact, it, it's very countercultural, but we wanted to do something radical for Jesus, and so we said, let's take, it, let's take a chance. But, you know, I remember we were, we were, when we were engaged, you know, she had her engagement ring. We were at the market one day, and there was a, a, the lady at the check stand that was taking care of us, um, she says, are you guys engaged? Because she saw the ring. And, she, and we're like, yeah, you know, like, you know, you know, turn embarrassed and, you know, red in our face. And she goes, you're really engaged. I said, yeah. She's like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. And I was like, oh, that kind of hurts, you know. Like, well, I'm, I'm sorry to offend you by trying. I wanted to say to her, like, come talk to us in 20 years. We're going to have scoreboard, you know. But. I remember one of my good friends, you know, surfers, you know, uh, you, you need your surfboards. Surf, surfboards are really expensive. They're, you know, there's a lot of investment. And I remember one of the presents that we received as we were getting closer to our wedding day was one of my good friends gave me a, a brand new surfboard. And I was showing it off at the beach and everybody, you know, all the other surfers were admiring it. They're like, wow, you know, that's, that's sick board, bro. You know, like, pardon the surf talk, but, you know, that's exactly what he said. So and I said, yeah, you know, it's a wedding present. And he looked at, like, he said, for you? I'm like, yeah, that's, we're getting, I'm getting married next month. And he looked at me, and he looked at the board, and he said, you know, congratulations on the surfboard. As if, you know, getting married, you're making a horrible decision. And, you know, all the guys in the church, my buddies, like, you know, we've known each other forever. Like, why are you getting married? Why do you have to get married, man? Why, you know, why do you have to break up the crew? You know, what about the bros? And now we're going to have to ask her to came, come along with us. And so let's look at the Bible, you know, because when we study the Bible, it's there because God put it there. And we can over-romanticize it. You know, we want this so bad. We can over-prioritize it, say this, this, is, this absolutely has to happen. Or we can under-prioritize it. There can be anger connected to it. But how can we have a proper perspective if, if we don't understand how God sees it and you know, perhaps there is the pain of divorce that's in here. And in the room of this size, I can, I can almost guarantee it that there's a distorted view of marriage and the pain that's there. And, and I want to look at this text here because in, we're going to look at a few scriptures. Ephesians chapter 5, first of all, verse 30. The Bible says, because we are members of his body, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Why do we need to study it as a church? Because the Bible says this pertains to Christ, who we follow, and the church. And so why marriage? What is it good for? Why is it important? 
where did it come from and why does God say to get married and why does it matter to us as the church? And so Ephesians is referencing Genesis chapter one. And so I'm gonna read a few more scriptures and I'm gonna look at a few purposes of marriage. Sermon I've entitled, Thank God for Marriage. All right, so Genesis chapter one, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good, and there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Genesis 2.24, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. I want to look at three purposes of marriage here. The first thing that we see in our text is that one of the ways that God created marriage is to be an example. It's to be an illustration of who God is. And so the Bible says, let us make man in our image. You know, when we read about God in Genesis chapter one, God refers to himself in the plural because we believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They operate in community, a relationship. Three distinct personalities within one, Godhead. And so we have different within one, it's unity. And it's interesting that God says, you know, let us make man in our image. And I know, I don't know if you've ever heard this before, you know, but, you know, there is a community that's there within the Godhead. It's a relationship. And so they're functioning. And, you know, I love how you, you hear about Jesus who's even in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's like, Father, if you could take this cup, you know, like, I can't tell you how many times my dad, you know, in this life, my dad said things. I'm like, Dad, if, if you could you know, take a different course of action. I'd love it. You know, does it, does it have to be like this? And, you know, Jesus is saying, God, are you sure this is what we want to do? Are you sure this is part of the good plan for our lives? And, you know, even in their relationship, there's, you know, there's a trust, there's a, there's a, a, a an element of, of relationship where Jesus is saying, like, I don't quite understand why, but if you could take this away, you know, but, but if it's your will, Lord, you know, if, you know let your will be done. Like, I'm, I'm going to surrender into this. And marriage is different. You know, it's male and female. That's why what God says here, and the power of marriage as it exemplifies the Godhead, because God said, let us make man in our image. And the power of marriage isn't in the sameness, isn't in the fact that we're exactly the same getting married. And so we've heard that phrase, you know, irreconcilable differences. The Bible says that that's part of what marriage is, is that there's a difference in marriage. I'm so glad that my wife is not like me. But, you know, that's what it says here, that they're naked and not ashamed, that they're, they're very much aware that they're different. And there's not a, oh, my goodness, you're different. You're, like, weird. You know, like, you're strange. And they said the power of marriage is that there is a difference there. And, you know, Jesus, you know, it, makes it very, very clear. And Jesus references this text 
that a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, that God made them male and female. And so all the way through the Bible, we find that then marriage isn't, you know, in, in our culture, there's a lot of different definitions to what marriage is. And that's not the way that God, cre- God created two male and female in their differences to become one. And it's powerful how God presents this here because marriage says you're different. I don't understand you. I don't look like you. I don't think like you. I don't act like you. I have different needs. I have different wants. I have different perspectives. You come from a different world. But I'm with you. I am devoted to you, committed to you, value you. I need you, and I want you, and I love you. Doesn't that sound a lot like God? And so this says there's a picture of Christ in the church. And and so isn't that a lot like God where God says, you know, we're in different worlds. We're in different places. We're in different, you know, we come from a different, there's different desires. And yet God says, I still love you. And that's the way we we think in in a relationship in the kingdom of God is everybody here is a unique person and, and a different place. And God says, this is a picture of Christ in the church. Doesn't that remind us of God? There's another aspect of marriage that we find. The Bible says, let us make man in our image to two become one flesh. And, you know, I've heard this said is that, you know, in a marriage, everybody has to bring, you know, their part. You have to bring 50-50. You know, I bring my 50, she brings her 50, and together we make a whole, right? But the problem is, is like, you know, I'm not always 50, man. I'm like 20 sometimes, and she's going to have to bring more than that. And so how do you know who gets to bring more? And, you know, we think in that perspective, that's not fair. So if I, you know, if I'm only bringing my 20% and she has to bring her 80, she's like, man, I'm pulling most of the weight around here. Right? And that, you know, and that's a different, but the Bible says that you have 100% joining to 100% becoming 100%. Is that we give all, it's that two become one flesh. And what I love about marriages and a marriage that's, that's based in Christ is that you find every marriage, and if you, if you know some married couples, and I know there's some really strong, powerful married couples in here, and I, and I look forward to getting to meet, you know, everybody here. But, you know, one of the wonderful things that you can experience is that you know that every married couple, their marriage has a unique personality. You know, there's, there's some people you know, like when you hang out with them, they are going to party all night long. They will keep you up. You know what I'm saying? And there's others that are like, we're going to bed at 8, and there's a structure, and there's a schedule. And like, don't mess with it, or you're getting in big trouble. And that's, there's, there's a couple, you know? And there's a, there's a couple in our church. They had twins. I just saw those twins. And, you know, they were like, that was the hardest two years of our entire life. We barely lived. I don't think we could ever have another kid. There's another couple that had twins just, you know, a, a year or two later. And they're like, we can't wait to have our next set. It's like, that's a difference, right? So that unique, you know, personality and, you know, and it's interesting that two become one and the power of two becoming one, but it's, but it's a, another picture here of what the Bible says here is that, that, that they become one flesh. It's like two personalities, two powerful people becoming one. That reminds me of like a superhero. So in one couple, you have the power of 200%, right? So you have this, this massive, you know, working as one. And the Bible says that when it's a covenant between God, you have three in one. And then you have this unique power that's there. And every marriage has this superhuman quality where two people are able to do much more than just one. 
And two people together are able to do much more than two people on their own. And so there's this dynamic that takes place. And the Bible says this is a picture of God. Let us make man in our image and put them together. The third part that we see here that exemplifies God is it's a picture of the church. And, you know, I read at the very end of Ephesians chapter 5, the Bible says this is a profound mystery. The two become one, but one powerful picture of Christ in the church is in Ephesians chapter 5. You know, we're going to tread into some, some difficult waters here. Uh, we'll start with verse 21. It says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. It says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Please don't walk out. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to help you here. So the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and his, himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, and no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband." I'm going to briefly touch on this, but the Bible says, wives, submit or respect your husbands. In verse 33, it says, respect. In verse 24, it says, submit as, as the church submits to Christ. And so, you know, this is a, a picture here in the church that's very, very powerful that we have to understand. And it's an interesting t- dynamic because Genesis 2.18 says that the Lord said, it's not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. That word helper comes from the, the Hebrew word ezer, and that, that word ezer that, that's in the Hebrew, it's most used in the Bible from God referring to himself. I am a help in time of need. I am a constant help in time of need. I am your helper. And so that, that word ezer is not a word that denotes or perspect, like a lesser perspective, but a different role in a marriage and a different role in the relationship. And so what God is, is saying here is that there's a picture, if we're talking about marriage as an example, um, a picture of what God wants to show us is an exemplification of Christ and the church. Marriage is a great picture of that because what, what it shows is, it shows in the home that, you know, where, where do kids learn how to follow directions and, and, and see the example of what's supposed to be done? You know, in our, in our home, you know, it, the Bible says that, you know, the husbands and wives, and, and I want to tell you that most of the things that are in our home, I, I talk to my wife and say, hey, you know, how do you think we should do this? Or what do you think we should do in this situation? And she'll say, this is what I, this is what I think we should do. And so I'll walk into the room. We have three kids. One's 21, who's actually playing football in Long Island. So he's, uh, he's, he's there now. We have an 18-year-old who's in college playing golf. And, um, and, and we have our daughter at home. And She's home alone, hopefully not tonight. You know, hopefully she's home alone. <laughs> I'm not sure. Tonight, you know, they're all good kids. And, um, you know, I'll walk into the room and I'll talk to my kids. Hey, guys, this is the way it's going to be. This, 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 and this. And my wife will be there nodding her head. And, she, and I'll say, hey, honey. And we'll go in the room. Hey, honey, did I uh, cover all the bases? <laughs> because we're working together. But one of the things that, that, 
that the, the home shows is it shows the kids, you know, a, you know, when my wife says, hey, your dad said that this is what we're going to do, and she follows, the kids learn from a perspective of what it means to be in discipleship, what it means to follow directions, what it f- means to have a leader and to follow along the way. Now, they know she doesn't always agree with me. But the Bible says that this, this perspective is taking place and every family and every church needs this perspective of what it means and what it looks like to take directions and follow directions because that's what discipleship really is. The church needs discipleship. So when Jesus went to his disciples and said, follow me, the disciples had to follow him and that's a perspective and he spoke to them and they had to understand. And so what's, what we're seeing in this example is that in the home, there's an example to kids of what it means to be a disciple, to follow. On the other side, what we see is husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And this is what the way my dad communicated to me. He said, hey, Josh, how did Christ love the church? I said, well, he died on the cross. He's like, well, your job is to die. Now, I think men have a worse, worse, you know, worse end of this deal. You know, wives get to submit or respect, and men have to die. But, you know, that's the picture. But what did Jesus do for the church? He sacrificed himself. Full surrender. And that's what a marriage is supposed to look like. A husband laying down his life for his family and a wife showing the kids what it means to submit and to surrender and to follow, follow along with a leader. And if those two things are working together, a husband, a servant leader, then it's a p- powerful picture of what it looks like to be in the church. The next thing that we see here in our text in Genesis chapter 1 is the Bible says that one of the responsibilities or the roles of marriage is to sanctify. The Bible says, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the heaven, and over the livestock, over the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God blessed them, and he said, be fruitful and multiply and have dominion over all these things. And this is verse 28. The Bible says that blessing was given corporately. You know, I don't know if you, if you caught this, but if God made Adam, he didn't say, hey, Adam, you're blessed, and Eve, you can have some too. He didn't say, Eve, you're blessed, and Adam, you better hang out with her so you can get some of the blessing. He says, the Bible says that God blessed them in this relationship. Once she was around, it's like, you know, this, in this couple, I'm going to bless you. And it brings a dominion. God says, I want you to have dominion. I want you to bring that blessing across the world into every avenue and every resource. And this is my... My, my, my job for you, dominion, is to bring the rule of God into situations, circumstances, and lives that are not set apart. In our, in our text, dominion doesn't just mean you can eat all the animals and eat all the plants. It means bring the presence, the power, the life, the organization, the structure of God, the peace of God, everywhere you go. So let me give you an example. Like this, is, this is what it looks like in my house. In my house, there's a mess. Let's say there's a mess. And I walk in the door, and I was like, man, there's, there's some dominion that needs to be brought in here. Or my wife, you know, I get home from work, and she says, hey, 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 did you look at the boys' room? There's some dominion that needs to be established in the boys' room right now. And I walk into the boys' room, and I say, you know what, guys? The whole house is not the kitchen. The whole house is not the trash can. There is a mess. The bedrooms are not the laundry. You know, the outside should not be on the inside. You guys you got following me here? You know what I'm talking about. The kitchen sink isn't supposed to be the place where all, the final resting place for all dishes that are covered in food. You know, and dishes don't have five places to live. There has to be some dominion, some order. So everything can function in its proper way. And so what does marriage do in this? 
is marriage says we're going to begin to bring some clarity. Legos cannot be on the floor. You know, there cannot be these toys that are there. That, you know, the animals can't. We're going to bring some dominion. And I, and, I, and, I, and I think about that because in every area of life, marriage helps to bring dominion in, in every aspect. You know, if you've ever heard, you know, that, the message, for example, some of you guys got to hear it when I preached in Tucson. Well, when I preached that message, I had already had to, sh- I already shared it with my wife, and she brought some, some, you know, some understanding and brought some blessing so that it would make sense. Here's practical sense. I'm called to be a pastor. We got sent out to pastor. You know, hey, honey, we're going to go to our, we're going to go to our church. And she says, you know, you're called to pastor, but your breath stinks. Maybe you should go brush your teeth and then you can help. Some, oh, is that, is that not marriage? I'm sorry. Was that, was that harsh? And I'm like, I'm offended. Like, how can you say that? You know, like I'm a good guy. I look good. Everything looks sharp. He's like, well, you know, you're going to offend people if you don't take care of some business. Well, thank you for bringing dominion and I'm going to bring a new word in here, the blessing of God into my mouth so that, I, so that I can be a blessing to others, right? And that process that God takes us from disorder and messed up and to make our lives wonderful and to clean us up is the sanctifying process. And so one of the ways that God uses to sanctify this world is he, he brings us into this thing called marriage and it helps us. So this is like, a really powerful idea of 1 Corinthians 7, 14, the, if the unbelieving husband is made, or for the unbelieving husband is made holy, which is the word sanctified, because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy, sanctified because of her husband, otherwise your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. So, you know, I would, let me ask you, you know, am I what would be called an unbelieving husband? You might say no. Is my wife an unbelieving wife? You would probably say, no, she's too sweet for that. But let me ask you this. Have you ever not believed? Have you ever been in a position where your thoughts and your doubts and your questions, when does walking away from God actually begin? If repentance or coming to Christ, the word repentance means a change of mind, I wonder if coming to Christ begins when our mind begins to realize that, you know what, God is good and I'm messed up, man. Like, maybe I need God in my life. Maybe I don't have all the answers. And when our mind starts to change, the process of repentance is starting. And when we come to Christ, we give our lives to God. We are repenting in an outward action, but the repentance process already happened. You know, where God's beginning to work inside of us. But likewise, I wonder when walking away from God begins. If repentance be, begins in our, our mind and God it touches our heart, the Bible says, for what the mouth confession is made and the heart believes is that there's a decision. I wonder when we start to walk away, when we start to have unbelief. And let me give you a, an example from my life. I remember what, you know, one day we were, in, we were pastoring in Utah. And we were going through an extremely difficult time. And uh, for a number of situations were taking place, it was that, that crisis, and it was a Sunday morning, and I had just received a phone call from somebody, uh, not in the church, but they were extremely critical and very harsh, said some very accusatory things, and, you know, and it, and it was totally unfounded. Found out later that, you know, the guy was, he had been drinking, he was going through a lot of bad things, and my heart went out to him, but it took, it was really hard for me to hear. And so I remember I was just thinking, you know, I, I was out, you know, Sunday morning, getting ready for church, and I just, I just stopped, and I just went outside, and I started pulling weeds. 
I was in a bad spot. So I'm pulling weeds. So my wife is like, you know, she looks at the clock. She's like, okay, this is about the time that Josh usually starts getting ready. Can, can I be honest with you? Is this, is this too graphic, you know? And so I'm out there, and I'm on the driveway, and I'm pulling weeds out of the driveway cracks. You know, that's, that's how bad it was. And so and she's like, are you going to get ready for church? I said, no, I'm not going. She said, really? She said, uh, you want to you call your dad and ask him about that? You know, you want to talk, talk to Pastor Rob? You know, do you want to talk? I said, no, I'm just going to pull weeds. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. And she's like, okay. So this is why marriage saved my life, right? So the, one of the reasons. This is just an example, okay? She goes, well, what I, what I would encourage you to do is that you got three kids up there. Please do whatever you would want your boys to do if they were in a tough situation like this. I was like pulling weeds, and I started thinking, really what I want my boys to grow up to be is quitters? No. Do I really want my boys to grow up and say I give up when things get hard? No. It's like, gosh, man, like she got me. Like the Holy Ghost convicted me. My unbelieving heart was sanctified by a believing wife. And I went, I was able, I went to church, preached the gospel. It was a great service. It was revival. But that one moment, it was a pivot point. It was a moment where it could have gone either direction. But the sanctification, the blessing of my, she took dominion. She said, my husband is messy right now. And I got to tell him, I got to, in a, in, a, in a very respectful way, she brought the word of God and it saved my life. And I want to say that this is one of the greatest blessings of marriage is that in, in our lives and situations is that God created marriage to sanctify us so that it doesn't have to be disorder and chaos, that God can bring a blessing in relationships. And, you know, one of the, one of the things that I actually, I asked my wife, so I have permission to tell this story, but on the other side, when we first got married, you know, she was estranged from, from her father. You know, her father and her mother split up when she was young, and there's some deep emotional wounds that were there. And I, I remember we would sometimes go visit uh, her father, you know, my father-in-law. And every time we went and visited him, it would be like this emotional, pro, you know, it was our first years of marriage. And it, it would be like weeks and weeks and weeks before, you know, my wife, she would be able to work this through. And I remember talking to her. I said, you know, this is something that we're going to have to work through. Like, you're either going to have to deal with some of these issues, and, we're, and I'm here for you. And we're going to pray about it, and we're going we're gonna to forgive. Whatever it takes, we're going to have to find out what's at the root or we can't go visit your dad anymore because this is like costing us. And this is the blessing of the, of the sanctification process. So she said, you know what, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. And so we, we got some books and we prayed and we got prayer. We talked to pastors and, you know, counsel. And we worked this through. And she went to her dad and talked about it. And they had these really long, deep, you know, talks. And there were tears that were shed. And I just want to say that was that was like more than a decade ago, but one of the greatest blessings in our lives today is my father-in-law. He's one of the, the most encouraging, most, you know, powerful voices of encouragement and, 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 and blessing in our lives for our kids, for our relationship, financial, amen, you know what I'm talking about? And there's this blessing that was there, and it all happened because she was willing to go into that, but that wouldn't have happened. If in a marriage there's a sanctification process and helping her through, that's one of the blessings of marriage. And, you know, it is intimidating, but it is a blessing. And I want to say that that's one of the greatest blessings in my life. And we see that, you know, my, my father-in-law very frequently, 
And every time I see him, he's one of the most encouraging people that I would meet. And I want to look at a final reason that the Bible says that marriage here in our text, it says that one of the reasons that God brought marriage is for multiplication. I just mentioned a few, uh, a few minutes ago that my, my oldest son, he's a football player. So he's, he's in Long Island University. It's nowhere near. They're the team. We're one of the teams that, like, good teams like Georgia play at the beginning of the year, and they just get slaughtered, you know, like 62 to nothing. That's, that's the school that he's playing for, right? So, and, you know, they play, you know, and, and honestly, you know, I'm really proud of him, and their team did pretty good. They played uh, TCU this year, and, uh, or no, no, they played Baylor just uh, last week, and they did all right. They, they probably could have had a chance, but the starting quarterback got hurt. But I've been hearing about Georgia for a long time. Just so you know, like, I have a healthy respect of Georgia and admiration. From a football point of view, my father played for the uh, Los Angeles Rams, and he played for UCLA. And so football is, is in my family and, you know, and my uncle, and my, uh, my in-law, my brother-in-law and my dad. And some of my, my brother played quarterback. At UC- so when we get together, there's a lot of football talk and there's a lot of football conversations. I have some nephews that play football. And, um, you know, last year, for example, last, you know, Georgia actually has a, has a presence there on the West Coast. There's a, there's a family in our school that um, actually, you know, they're big, huge Georgia fans. Everything's red. I had to figure out what that meant. And uh, the G and the red. And so, okay, okay, see. And uh, they heard we were coming to Georgia. And, uh, you know, and I, I said this is about the time that we were going. And he, he knew the whole, you know, every single game that they're playing and, and all the other opposition. Turns out there's another school family that goes to our school that uh, they're TCU fans. And so that was an interesting conflict at the end of last year. Definitely awkward the next day. But what I wanted to say with with college football and and specifically in Georgia, one thing that I've admired is that there's a culture that was developed. It's it's an atmosphere. And there's a culture that's there, and whether it was a coach or a coaching staff or whether, whether it was the entire community, it had to be created. There's a culture, like a dynamic. There's a, there's a perspective. You know, as we're driving through town, I've seen so many bulldogs. Just bulldogs everywhere, you know, whether it be pictures or actually statues. And it's, you know, it's like, wow, like, these, these mean something, you know. Like even in the hotel, there's pictures of it. In, in our hotel room, there's a picture of the football stadium in the field. But it means nothing unless the players show up. And if I were to tell my son, you know, there's a place for you. I just found out there's a place for you that you could be on the Georgia football team. He would drop everything. He would say, I will take a loan for the rest of my life. He would, he would come here in a heartbeat, and you would have a new member in your church immediately. But all the thought and all the theory means nothing unless the players show up. It's all theory. It's all speculation. It's all, you know, the strategies and the plays and the game plans. All the rest of the teams in the nation look up, wishing, hoping, why? But Georgia football actually has football players, young men that came here from around the country that said, I want in. Isn't that right? And they're the best players in the, in the nation and best coaches, best community. You know, at, at this point, it's number one. And I want to say that in the kingdom of God, the, a marriage is the foundation, it's the family, is the culture that produces blessing in this world. This is what God said, shall bring multiplication. People, kids, uh, family, community, they, the Bible says they multiply, procreate the image of God. To procreate the dominion, the presence of God, the blessing of God. 
You know, we love spiritual fruit, but when real people show up, something's different. You know, we heard today that this church grew by two people. Those are, those are two very, you know, we could say, like, theoretically, we're going to have millions tomorrow, but it doesn't mean anything unless they show up. You know, babies are going to be, run, those babies are going to be running the show in about 15 years, right? You know, in our, in our church, we went and pastored. We were gone for 14 years, pastoring in different places. And we come back, and the babies that we left are running the show. In fact, I remember moving home with my little sister, who was two years old when we got married. I think she was two years old, or maybe, like, even younger. One-year-old. When we got home, she was like, hey, hey, Josh, just want to let you know, this is the way mom and dad, this is the way my, mo- my mom and dad like things done. It's like, wait, wait, wait. That's my mom and dad, too. She's like, well, that's, you've been gone. This is the way it goes. This is how the program works. You know, there's, everything's different between in person and watching it, right? I can't wait to experience the in-person experience. I've only heard about this church, but I'm going to tell you, it's much better in person than what I've heard. And that's the same thing about God, is that we love fruitfulness, but it, everything changes is when it's flesh and blood, right? When it's real people, when God touches a real person and God begins to move in their life. The Bible says God loves kids. Jesus said, for such is the kingdom of God. So let me, let me explain it a different way. You know, the, when we had babies, there was diapers. There were dishes, there was crying, there's foolishness. When my babies were waking up, you know, and our kids were waking up every two hours at night, it's like, you know, this is not a blessing. The Bible, you know, the Bible says children are heritage from the Lord. This is not a blessing. You know, like sleep, sleep is really special, you know. Like, I, there's like these gaps in my memory for those three or four months when they were newborn. But now, those little babies... I'll be driving home from work, and my, da- my wife will be, you know, you know working on something. My daughter, will, well, she'll call me, hey, Dad, what would you like for dinner? It's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I remember my, you know, just a few days ago, my daughter, ca- ca- you know, I was talking to her, and she's like, I'm trying to help my friend who's in a hard time. What should I say? And I said, you know, you, gotta, you just got to ask her questions, you know, see you know, what's going on. And and she told me later, I'm like, what did you tell her? What did you tell your friend? And she said, well, first I told her this, and this, then I told her that. And I'm like, man, babe, that's, that's exactly what I would have told her. And it began to occur to me is that my wife and I weren't even there, and we were ministering to people outside of our ability. That's multiplication, is that when God begins to multiply, when people begin to get involved, that two became three. And my son, you know, he's there, in, you know, in, in Long Island. That's in, in the New York area. He's with his roommate, and he's like, hey, man, you know, um, he's like, what are you reading? He's like, oh, well, I'm reading, like, a devotion. I'm reading a Bible study. And he's like, well, you know, his roommate says, well, could you read it to me? And he's like, sure. So he reads it to him, and he, he's like, that's beautiful. One of the football players is like, all right, bro, we're going to do this every day. And so they're doing a Bible study. It's like way far out beyond my ability, my capacity, multiplication is occurring. And this is what God intended when he said, be fruitful and multiply, that there is the presence and the dominion and the, the cleansing process, the blessing of God that wants to go forward. I testified at conference about a young man that came and lived with us. His name was Markel, or is Markel. He came and lived with us when he was 15. His, in his family, 
His dad was in prison. He'd never met his father before, and his mom was addicted to, uh, was, was addicted to meth. In fact, this young man, he, he was selling meth and addiction, and, and God got a hold of his heart and set him free, but he's basically homeless. And so he, we welcomed him into our home. And this is what I wanted to share is that we welcomed in, him into our home because, you know, he's, he didn't have anywhere to go. But, you know, we needed a roof over his head. And, but he wanted to be a disciple. He's like, I want to learn about God. I want to learn what God wants for my life. And, and that would refer to me. Like, I'm, you know, I'm the pastor. I'm going to disciple this guy. And, and, and he's a great disciple today. You know, he's, a, he's, he's pastored, he pioneered a bunch of churches. And he's doing a great job. But when I talk to him and we talk to him, what he talks about in his discipleship that he lived with us were the traditions of our home. They talked about how the kids, he said, the home-cooked meals, right? He talked about celebrating Christmas, having the traditions, how the family was run. And I thought to myself, you know, I wonder if that would have occurred if I was just a single guy trying to take care of that young man. I don't know if the ministry he needed was just me telling him what to do or he needed the culture and the environment of a home, of a family. And I realized that the marriage was the blessing or was the ministry that that young man needed. He knew what the relationship between men, but it was the blessing of my wife and kids that brought the fruitfulness and the multiplication in the needs that that young man had. And that's the powerful thing about the multiplication of marriage is that God works miracles through marriage. God works miracles through marriage. Why, who do we have to thank for marriage? We can thank God for marriage. It's God's idea. And what is God challenging us to do? And it's no wonder in our world today that there's so much assault against marriage because it is a picture of Christ in the church. It's a picture of how discipleship should run. It's the picture of how there is differences that work together and how it becomes superhuman, powerful, and how it's a picture of God, the, the Trinity working. No wonder there's a conflict against marriage. Marriage is how God sanctifies and begins to change and begins to clean things. No wonder that there's a, such an assault against marriage. Marriage, by definition, brings fruitfulness and growth and life, the spark of life. God created life, and through marriage, God brings new life, new people, the blessings of kids. No wonder there's such an assault. And whether we're married today and that, you know, all, it, you know that applies specifically or or we don't you know maybe we're not married or we've been through a lot but god wants us to recognize that you know sin has separated and and the assault of sin has separated this idea of what marriage it wasn't one of the first assaults of sin was splitting up adam and eve going against each other isn't it interesting how the enemy isolated one of them and then there brought that division there and so God wants to bring healing in marriage. God wants to bring healing, not just in marriage, but healing in all of our hearts. Healing from the wounds of a broken marriage. Healing from those of us that have suffered because of broken marriages. To bring healing in our perspective of marriage. To bring healing in the, the ideas there. And what God is challenging us, I believe, tonight is to honor marriage. To say, you know what, marriage is, is good. It's, God, it's God's idea. It's God's institution. And I'm going to talk highly of it. And we know the world that we live in, the old ball and chain, all the, all the comments, right? But you know what, let's speak highly of marriage because it's God's idea. 
to protect and defend marriage. It's what God compares himself to, like Christ in the church. It's what God compares the church to. I believe the church is such a powerful picture of God's family, is that here we are all together as one. It's like coming together as a family. And, and I love the, fellow, the time that we get together in fellowship and say hi. It's like having like a family meal. Hey, man, what's going on? You know, I saw you like three days ago. I saw you this morning, but it's so good to see you again. Like, you know, what's going on? It's despite real pain or personal pain, it's the way, you know, God intended it to be something to be a blessing. I also believe that as a church that God wants us to help marriages, to, to support marriages. You know, in our church in Santa Monica, there's a lot of different places that marriages are. There's older marriages and there's younger marriages. There's newlyweds. There's, what could we do? There's people that have babies. Let's, let's help them so they could have a date once in a while, you know, spend some time together. You know, maybe, we, maybe they need some resources. Maybe they need, you know, help moving some furniture. But let's help those that are married. Let's, let's, let's support them. And, you know, I just want to say I'm so grateful for Pastor asking me to preach on this topic. And I know it's a little bit off the normal, but... You know, I appreciate you letting me communicate in, in this way, but I want to say that marriage is such a blessing when it's God's way. And if there are marriages here, be a support to them, defend them, protect them, encourage them. Speak highly of your marriage. Speak highly of what, of what God has given you because this is how God is going to bring blessing and multiplication and the sanctification process. This is one of the ways that God does all those things. What a powerful picture of who God is. I want to take this opportunity, if, if you'd bow your heads and close your eyes with me. What a privilege it's, it is for me to be here with you tonight. I'm so grateful for the, the blessing to be able to min, minister on this, on this topic. And I want to, before we go any further, I want to ask the question, perhaps you're here in this place, and maybe you're a visitor, maybe you've been here for quite a while, but there's something that's, that's haunting. There's, a, there's, a, there's something inside right now that, that God is speaking to you, and it's a voice that's saying, you know, it's time for you to get right. You know, the Bible says that man is separated from God because of sin. Sin separates us from God. And what, what can we do to have relationship with God? If God is, desires to, be, to bring blessing God's desire is to bring fruitfulness. God's desire is to bring hope and peace. But man is separated from God. How do we, how do we get it right? Is it, what could we do? The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of our sin is death. And, and so the consequences of our sin separate us from God. How do we get right? What could we do? How could this be, how could this be restored? The Bible says that Jesus took our sin upon himself and he paid the penalty that, that we should have paid. That Jesus died on the cross, that he shed his blood and he gave his life so that we could be forgiven. Tonight you're here, you're not right with God. God has a plan for your life. He has a destiny for your life. As we talk about marriage, you're here in this place and there, the consequences and the struggles, the pains of, of broken marriage, maybe you've had to deal with of others, maybe in your own life and the hurt and the struggle. God wants to heal your heart tonight. God wants to help you and it begins to, by turning to Jesus. If repentance is a change, change of direction, it begins 
the change of our way of thinking. Say, man, I need God in my life. I need God to help me. God wants to help you tonight. God wants to give you forgiveness. God wants to give you redemption. He wants to, he wants to wash you tonight. If you're not right with God and you say, I need Jesus, is there anybody here? Just lift up your hand. You say, that's me. I want to give my life to Jesus. You're here tonight. You say, I need God. Lift up your hand. We just want to pray for you. Is there anybody here? This is, say, you know what? I, I don't know what it all means, but I need God. I want to give my life to Jesus. Simple, simple decision. Nobody can do it for you. God wants to help you. Is there anybody here? Lift up your hand. God wants to help you. Amen. Anybody else? Say, that's me. Pastor, I'd love somebody to pray with me. I need Jesus tonight. Maybe you're back, Maybe you once made that decision and you're backslidden. You say, man, I'm far from God. I need to get my heart right. God's speaking to me right now. I need to get my heart right. I need to make some decisions and I want to rededicate my life to Jesus. Is anybody here? Quickly, lift up your hand. God's speaking to you. Say, I want to get this right. Amen. Amen. If you lifted your hand, do you mean that, little buddy? Did you mean that? All right. I'm going to ask you to come up and pray. I'm going to pray. All right. Praise God. I want to change the call. We're going to have a time at the altar. And I believe that in, in this room that there's definitely the situations and there's hurts and there's pains and that God wants to help you. And, and I believe that God wants to restore marriage the, the perspective of marriage and the value of marriage, that God wants to bring the honor of marriage in this place. And God's challenging you to say, you know what, I, I need to honor marriage. I want to be one that would protect and defend marriage and in our community, in our city, in our state, in our church. That I want to be a blessing. I want to help marriages. I want to help the marriages that are here because I can see how God uses them to bring a blessing and how what God does through marriage to work in this world. We're going to sing a song in, this, in, in just a moment. I want to encourage you to come to this altar. We're going to take a moment to pray. Amen. Why don't we all stand as we sing that song? These altars are open. Let's take this opportunity to pray.